Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with Mark Vanderlei on attachment and fatherhood. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, here from Chaddock. And in our podcast, we look at attachment issues, attachment research, and bridging the gap between that and clinical practice. So glad to have all of you here today. My guest today is Dr. Mark Vanderlei. I'm going to give you a little bit of background about him. And first, I want to say, though, that he is going to be talking about us and the topic related to fathers and attachment. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. So Dr. Vanderlei is the owner of Connections Family Counseling. It's a counseling practice focused on building resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. He's also on the clinical faculty at Adams State University Master of Counseling program. Dr. Vanderlei has been working with children and families for over 20 years, serving as a direct care staff in residential settings, as a youth pastor, therapist, and clinical supervisor. He is particularly passionate about fatherhood and the role of fathers in their children's physical, emotional, and spiritual development. Mark writes about fatherhood on his blog, www.parentingboysraisingmen.com. Com and is the host and producer of the Connected Family Podcast. In his free time, you'll find Mark running, reading, and exploring the family farm with his wife and four young children. I know you all are really going to enjoy this podcast, and actually, Mark happens to also be a personal friend and colleague of mine, having worked at Chaddock, where I currently work in the past. So I'm looking forward to this discussion and I know you're really going to appreciate it as well. Get ready for an immersive, in-depth series of discussions featuring the one and only Michael Trout alongside Karen Doyle Buckwalter. Coming soon to the Knowledge Center is Navigating Hollowed Ground, insights on how attachment impacts who we are and how we serve others. Using select readings from Michael Trout's upcoming book release, Michael and Karen will dive deep into four topics presented in four sessions. Participants will receive the readings prior to each meeting to deepen the discussion and enhance the experience. And since the readings come directly from Trout's book, This Hollowed Ground Four Decades in Infant Mental Health, you're getting advanced excerpts from the book. For more information or to register for the sessions, head to tkcchaddock.org. All right. So, so Mark, um, great to continue the dialogue here about fatherhood and attachments. Yeah. And, um, you know, what if we're going to talk specifically just about some of what's out there in the attachment literature um, about fathers, I guess the first thing we would talk about is the absence <laughs> of <Yeah>. attachment <laughs> literature um, related to fathers and um, that 
John Bowlby's son, Sir Richard Bowlby, uh, was a person who was really trying to increase the understanding of fathers as attachment figures. And mm-hmm. um, and even his father later in his career was beginning to think about that more. Um, but so what, what do you have to say to us just about attachment theory, attachment research, and fathers? Yeah. So, as far, you know, as far as I understand, you know, a lot of that early attachment research was focused on the mother-child relationship and the yes. impact that that relationship has in child development and less focused on fatherhood. And, and then as the interest became deeper uh, and regarding that impact of fatherhood, much of the research used similar measures or similar research methods with fathers that they had been using with mothers. So this strange situation protocol, for instance, you know, um, that that big measure there. And so uh, some of the research that I've been reading has been wondering, well, is that an accurate measure? Is that a helpful way to measure the relationship between father and child compared to mother and child? And so I think some of the researchers are arguing that maybe we need a, a unique measure for that because the question is, what if there's a, a different mechanism through which the father-child relationship is developed compared to the mother-child relationship? So in the research, they're talking about the mother-child attachment relationship, which is often considered to have been developed through the comfort uh, sort of mechanism as, as I've seen it described. And, but then talking about the father-child activation relationship seemingly um, developed through the encouragement of exploration, excitation, sort of, um, oh gosh, what's activating the child in the active ways that fathers are sometimes seen to have done. Yes. You and know, I've, go ahead. It, well, it's it's overly simplistic, but it has sometimes helped me. Am I? I'm all about narrowing things down to make it easier to understand. And I know we lose nuance, and that's not how right. researchers like to speak. But I once heard someone talk about, um, and it always stuck with me. You know, moms holding the baby towards them, like cradling the baby, looking down with them, as a the way we hold a baby when we nurse the baby and that uh, mm-hmm. you hand the baby to the father and the, ba- the father flips the baby up, puts the baby facing out, like my cradle them like a chair almost. Yeah. And, and they're like showing them the world, you know, yeah. we're not just going to look at each other. We're in the world together. Yeah. And here's what I have to show you about it. And yeah. I always thought it was really a beautiful image uh, that captures that, you know, cause you do, you see this, how, how mom's holding the babies and, and dad, boom, flips them around. Yeah. Here we go, you know? Yeah. And in the, so in the articles I've been reading, they're describing that as openness to the world, where the father is sort of encouraging the child to be open to the world, and the mother is more comforting, and again, stereotypical. But the way that Richard, Sir Richard Bowlby talked about it in an interview that I uh, read about it, is he sort of almost described it as a continuum, and whereas I think previously there was like the primary attachment relationship which yes. was considered the mother child relationship and he sort of opened this up to maybe there's dual primary attachment relationships yes. where there's the primary attachment with a sort of mother figure and a primary attachment with a father figure and how they there are overlapping roles that are played both yes. father and mother do provide um, comfort nurturing both father and mother do provide excitement 
openness to the world, but each of them might also provide a tend towards one of those sides. And yes. both of those roles are very important um, in the development emotionally, physically, spiritually of the child. Yeah, and this may be a good place for us to even share our disclaimer that we understand that we're talking about specific roles, um, fathers, mothers. We understand that there's single parent households. There's households where children have two mothers or two fathers. Mm -hmm. And so we are not wanting to be insensitive to that, but in looking, I mean, what research does is puts things in categories. So right. that, that's what they're supposed to do, find sameness in certain categories. And so I just want to say we're, we're aware as we're talking about this of that very important point that this doesn't mean this describes every mother and every father and that these are, you know, all very strictly only in one gender or anything like that's not what we're saying. Mm -hmm. But for the sake of discussion, it's really helping us to, to um label these in some of these ways yeah. in order to, to look at the research and the literature. So, yeah. And yeah. I like to think about how complementary the roles can be to one yes. another and that, you know, whether it's a mother or a father playing that role, both of those roles are important in the life uh, and development of a child. And, and that there are ways to have some of these needs met outside you know say you're in a single parent situation or something like this mm -hmm. that there's there's mentors and there's there's uncles and there's yeah. you know there's folks around us too um th that can support us in in ways that we don't bring to the relationship in the same way right mm -hmm. yeah. um so in saying that too um yeah so um you know I like what what you're talking about so much with the explore and excitement and openness to the world. I think um, you know one of the articles that that uh, I know that we both looked at um, by Grossman and others was the uniqueness of the child father attachment relationship, father sensitive and challenging play as a pivotal variable and attachment. And, and as you said, they were looking at, we need some different measures besides the strange situation. That's not really showing us every, some of the nuanced pieces of the, the father-child relationship. They developed the skip, the sensitive and challenging interactive play scale. And, you know, it really brought out this article about, we think of sensitivity with mothers. I mean, everybody has heard the word sensitivity and sensitive caregiving mm -hmm. and you know you it's all over attachment literature and um but thinking of it in sensitive caregiving and how they switched this and looked at mm. sensitivity in how you play mm. so this this challenging play that we're talking about this um, we we can we haven't talked about rough and tumble play but we need to um and but that that's where a father's sensitivity may yeah. not that he can't be sensitive in these other ways either of course right, and we're not right. saying that but that's where that sensitivity of of fathers can can come out um in in sometimes a unique way what are your thoughts on some of that <laughs> i well it gets me kind of excited to like hear you talk about it and think about it because it, it brings me to the word attunement and how yes. even in playfulness we need to be attuned to how our child is experiencing. Yes. So if yes. I'm 
sensitive to my child's experience when I'm playing with them, then I'm going to be able to sort of measure or control my level of aggression, my level of physicality, yes. how, how hard I'm throwing them up into the air, if that's what I'm doing, or yes. Yes. how much weight I am you know, placing on them if we're engaged in rough and tumble play. Um, if I'm not sensitive to that, then it won't be mutually enjoyable. And that's one of the, right. the key terms that sort of stuck out to me as I was reading some of these articles was that it ha the play has to be mutually enjoyable. And if it's not enjoyable for the child, then I think of it as an attachment disruption, you know, as we talk about right. like, this lack of attunement to the child's right. emotional needs. If I hurt my child when I'm playing with them, that's an attachment disruption. You know, and it's so interesting that you bring that up in terms of sensitivity of play, because I, I, I think we've all been watching someone play or, or maybe in some kind of play ourselves, where we see that rupture. Mm. Um, and without repair, whether the child is hurt and then it's just a, you know, stop being a baby, da, da, mm. da, da, da or something like that. And you get this, I mean, those of us who think about this and, and uh, you get this like feeling inside you like, Oh, you know, um, yeah. and this is, this is more with mothers than, 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 um, fathers. But I remember I used to, my first job was working with teen mothers and I just remember their caretaking, like if they would wipe their baby's nose, it was like so rough. It was mm. like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, they're going to take the baby's nose off their face. And it, it, the, 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 it was all little things. It wasn't like I would look at this and I'd think, well, it's not like child abuse or something, but, mm -hmm. but, but something feels really off about how, how harsh this is and mm -hmm. how rough this is. And I didn't know at the time, you know, but it was that lack of attunement and that sensitivity to the baby's cues. Like I didn't have words for it. I just knew watching this, something felt yucky inside for me. Yeah. And I'm thinking about how different that might, thinking in regards to the physical play and sensitivity and play for fathers of how different that might be for different kids. Yes. You know, in the same family, maybe even. Yes. Because, you know, I have one child who, man, he wants that physical play and it can be pretty rough. And I have another one who doesn't like it quite yes. as rough and yes. that's harder for him. And so sensitivity to that and to the, the needs and the physicality of each child is a big part of that, I think. And adapting to the child rather than like, this is what I do. You adapt. If it's not from for you, well, you know, too bad. Yeah. Um, you know, Yak Panksup has written about rough and tumble play and how it changes the brains in rats. Um, mm. And um, he has an article. I mean, this, this article, he wrote an article called Play, ADHD, and the Construction of the Social Brain. Should the first class of each day be research, re research, recess, geez, recess. Hopefully not. No, sorry. I was talking about this research article, yeah. maybe say that. And so, I mean, he is actually uh, taking a very um, strong position that he thinks a lot of ADHD is a result being diagnosed in boys is the lack of rough and tumble play because rough and tumble play socializes the brain, so to speak, um, not only in terms of helping us manage our own bodies, but even in negotiating 
this is too hard. This is too rough. This is where you do this. This is where you don't do this. Mm-hmm. Negotiating all of that and um, negotiating social relationships. Um, so um, it's a pretty radical article. Um, and like I said, it, it's uh, 2008 in the American Journal of Play. Um, but what what has your research on rough and tumble play brought up for you? Um, Panksep has written a lot about it, as have others. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to find that article and read that one. I, you know, one of them that I did read um, in a similar vein was talking about how rough and tumble play, or that way that fathers tend to play with their children, develops a different set of skills than the comfort and nurturing that is provided by mothers. So comfort and nurturing tends to provide or develop skills in the children of like social social type skills, mm-hmm. whereas the rough and tumble tumble play they labeled them as maybe as more competition type skills where we're preparing the child for this competitive environment that we live in, whether it's a work environment or a school environment. And some of those plays or some of those skills generally are described as like the ability to handle conflict in a socially acceptable way, basically without too much aggression, but also being able to defend one's position. Uh, So being assertive, but not too aggressive and without avoidance as well. And if you think about that in regards to, you know, how we play with each other, how my three boys play together, um, all the fun stops when somebody starts crying and somebody does something that's too aggressive. And then they have to negotiate together what they want it to be like. Right. And, and so I think, yeah, that, those are the bells that are going off for me that maybe there's a different skills that are learned in that rough and tumble play sort of these competition skills compared to the more social skills. Yes, yes. I mean, but I do think the social, the, 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 that all of it comes into play and, and you oh, think yeah. about, you think about maybe um, a, a, a child saying, no, that was too hard. You know, oh, okay. Now I realize right. that when I punch that hard, that's not good for people, uh-huh. but it, we can keep playing if I punch this hard. Yeah. You know, all of those kind of titrating impulses and titrating yeah. levels of aggression, um, as you're wrestling around, rolling around. Mm-hmm. One of the things that what you just said reminded me of and what came to my mind when I was reading one of these articles was um, bullying and how there's, you know, such a, how difficult it is to help kids work through a situation when they're being bullied. How rampant it seems to be presently and how maybe rough and tumble play is part of a solution to that because if they're learning these competition skills through rough and tumble play, right. that is to manage conflict in a way without too much aggression and without avoidance, learning some more of those skills, allowing for that extra recess as the article that you mentioned is uh, ascribing to can be helpful in developing some of those skills in kids who may may have a deficit there. I think the challenge is, is how do we keep kids safe also? Um, I, and I think the even bigger challenge is screens. Oh, yeah. This is not how we're relating in physical ways mm-hmm. as much anymore. And if Yak Panksup is saying for a brain to appropriately develop, there has to be this rough and tumble play. And we're, you know, doing so many electronic things and we're, um, 
I mean, he is basically saying instead of allowing boys, I mean, this is what he's, uh, this is Yak Panks up, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. Instead of allowing boys the amount of rough and tumble play they need early on to develop, we're drugging them and making them more sedentary. Oh, wow. Like, that's per, like pretty much what he's saying. I mean, yeah. that's frightening. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, because, and so, you know, as a therapist, I'm thinking about the number of boys who've come to me been brought to me, you know, with an ADHD diagnosis and, and, you know, the wrestle of, is this normal boy behavior or is this outside the norm? Is this, um, truly ADHD? It's a struggle and it's hard to determine. And the norm has changed because it used to be, you know, when I went to kindergarten, it was, there are still lots of playing and, you know, learning was secondary. I mean, and now it's like, okay, before you go to kindergarten, your parents have to prepare you this big list of things you have to be able to do. You have to know this, you have to do that. And, you know, younger and younger ages being expected to sit quietly in seats when that's really not what uh, preschool and kindergarten and, and those um, kinds of experiences were, and, and and they're still not in some other countries, but that is what it's become in the United States. Mm. And it, it kind of speaks to this idea where in the U.S. We, we tend to see play as a waste of time or as something that's not right. valuable, right. whereas these articles that we've been reading are, are really highlighting the importance of play and that play is the way that children develop and learn and they need it. It's not just some waste of right, time. Right, right. And, and again, that going back to that this type of play is often how fathers connect with their mm -hmm. children. Forming secure attachment can come out of some of the sensitivity of this kind of play um, with children. And, and like you said, you know, having that balance, um, you know, not, not too rough. Um, I, I uh, pulled out an article uh, that had um, been written by um, Dr. David Myro. He's a psychologist in Buffalo, New York. And it was actually, it's actually about men and play, And I recognize uh -huh. we're speaking more broadly about men yeah. and attachment but there were a couple points that he brought out in here that I kind of wanted to get some of your reaction to um, he said men often feel comfortable with big physical moves and big gross motor action and secondarily and related um, kids often expect men to do gross motor moves it seems natural to them and kids often wish for this show of phys physical prowess but then he, and he goes on to say um, children appreciate it when a man uses strength for structure and protection and fun and not to bully and demean. Hmm. Well, I think, you know, in response to that, I think um, both as a therapist and as a father, I have thoughts about how powerful that is. I can um, recall even in some of the fair play work that I've done, lot, obviously lots of touch involved with fair play. And I think, I don't know, but I think some of the work that I have done has possibly been more large muscle movement and integrating some things slightly, maybe a little bit differently in ac the activities that I use and the ways that I do those activities than some other therapists might do 
it's know, true. Male. And this was true of one of the first original play therapists, um, Chuck West, who was very physical. Um, I, it makes me want to share this, um, that um, Dr. Myra wrote. Um, when I first thought about it, what it would be like being a male theraplay therapist in a field led by females, a powerful image came to my mind as I sat down to write this. I sat down for my first workshop led by Ann Jernberg, Phyllis Booth, and Chuck West. Chuck made a move I will never forget. In a 20-second interaction, he changed how I thought about myself as a male and invited me to totally expand how I used TheraPlay. The group was talking about physically managing bigger kids who were out of control. Of course, every group talks about that in TheraPlay. Um, I whined a little about how these kids might be too heavy to hang on to. Chuck walked over picked me up as if I were a toddler, put me over his shoulder, and then set me down. <laughs> I was shocked and definitely wowed. Essentially, he said, cut the whining and just have some fun. A good TheraPlay invitation. In parentheses, Chuck later admitted I weighed more than I look like I would. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love that idea of have fun. Yes. And, you know, it said, he said, cut the whining and have fun. For me, the that speaks a little bit to how much of myself am, am I willing to put into this effort? Because right, the, of, the whining was about the grown-up, not the child. Yeah, yeah. And, the you know, it's about, man, that's a lot of effort to lift somebody up off the ground or use all that physicality. And that's often what I think about in my work as a TheraPlay therapist is the level of energy that it takes. And I think I probably provide, I give as much energy as, you know, other therapists when we're doing TheraPlay. Um, but maybe it's, I don't know if it's more physical, maybe it is, but um, it's how much of myself am I willing to put in there? And I think that's one of the unique things of TheraPlay in general. And then thinking about myself as a father, um, so we we have this game in our house. I need to play it again because I've been reading about this a little bit more. And I'm like, gosh, we got to do it again because they love it. Called Scissor Trap. And basically, I lay down on the ground. Uh-huh. And one of the children gets caught between, you know, between my legs and I squeeze them and they fight to get out and they all work together to pull the other one out of, you know, the scissors that I make with my legs by locking my ankles together uh -huh. and squeezing them. And they, you know, as, as rough and tumble play is described in the literature, they delight in this. They, if I said the word scissor trap and walked down the stairs, they would all come running <laughs> down the stairs prepared to do this. And I love it, it. It just reminds me of like the enjoyment that they get from it. Um, the, the fun, the physicality of it and how important it can be for them. And so I was reading one of the articles and basically um, the, the author was talking about the messages that are sent to children through rough and tumble play with men and adults. And I think this can be in a therapist role or as a father. And I underlined it and put like four or five stars by it because I loved it. And he said, there are two messages that are sent to children in rough and tumble play with a father. They are, I love you and I am stronger than you. And I just think that's 
beautiful because it's like I, someone can love you and be stronger than you. They can keep you safe and love you at the same time. And when they love you, that being stronger than you is okay. And there's beauty in that. And it's not toxic. It's, it's lovely. It's safe. Yeah. Um, and that's, yes. you know, as I think about my role as a male, as a therapist and as a father, man, I would love to send that message to my kids. I love you. And I'm stronger than you, not in a domineering way, but in a lovely way. Well, it's kind of makes me think of circle of security that the parent needs to be bigger, stronger and wiser, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, you're, you're talking about that. There's, yeah. there's when, as you said, when that's used in sensitively attuned ways, it provides tremendous safety yeah. for the children. And, and that sensitive attunement, again, I'm thinking about when it's done well, basically you're demonstrating, I'm in, I'm in control of myself. I can have fun, be really engaging and exciting, but also remain in control of myself, which just speaks to that safety, you know? Dad's safe. He's not going to get out of control. He's not going to lose it on me. Right, right. It just allows them to be free and to explore that uh, exploring from the secure base thing, that openness to the world that we talked about yes. earlier and that opportunity to explore. I am um, at the risk of sharing too many stories, so I'm going to share one. But a fun experience of just something that we did with our kids in this idea of exploring in the context of safety. Yes. Um, I read a book a long time ago, which was like a, it was about a school that was really um, interested in encouraging kids exploration. And they said, uh, I took this rule from them and applied it to my family. They said they had a rule at their school that there was, you were not allowed to help other kids climb trees. Kids were allowed to climb trees, but you weren't allowed to help them. Okay. And the, the theory was that if you can climb up into the tree, then also you are capable enough, competent enough, strong enough to get yourself out of the tree. But if someone has to help you into the tree, then, well, you probably shouldn't be in the tree anyways, and it's kind of too risky, right? So it's like this balance between like risk-taking and safety. So we had this little tree in our front yard that was like the perfect height, and we we had established this rule. And so our kids were like, our to the top so our kids were like five maybe at the time and they're like up in this tree and it's not like a giant tree right it's like Mm -hmm. relatively safe they're climbing hanging in this tree like a couple of monkeys and our neighbor kid comes up and I'm standing there in the context of safety I'm standing there observing and monitoring my children in the tree also we would call it spotting I would spot them if they were climbing you know to keep them safe if they happen to fall and the neighbor boy came up and he's like will you help me into the tree and the mantra that we would say is well we don't help people try climb trees here (laughs) and so he tried to climb it tried to climb it and he couldn't get up there and I'm like sorry you know sorry our rule is we kind of we just don't help people climb trees and he thought I was crazy. He's like, what in the world is wrong with you? Why won't you help me do this? Um, anyway, I just think it's an example and I don't do it perfectly. I, you know, I'm not a, I share the story cause it's kind of funny and fun to share, not because I'm perfect, but uh-huh. I just think it's this example of how important fathers can encourage risk-taking in the context of safety mm-hmm. where we can push them to have an openness to the world 
explore their world in a way that helps them to develop competence and self-confidence and but also in the context of emotional and physical safety mm-hmm. um, and that's what I love about this idea of being a father in the context of, of attachment theory it's yes a great framework yeah. for it Yes. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really wonderful conversation. I appreciate you agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm so thankful for the invitation. Thank you. All right. Well, I know we'll be seeing each other around. So bye for now. All righty. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future episodes. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. Attachment Theory.